With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. So Dr. David Bell is a clinical and public health physician with a PhD in population health and background in internal medicine, modeling and epidemiology of infectious disease. Previously, he was director of global health technologies at Intellectual Ventures Global Fund in the USA, program head for the malaria and acute febrile disease at the Foundation for Innovative New Diagnostics or FIND in Geneva, and he's worked on infectious diseases and coordinated malaria diagnostic strategy at the World Health Organization. He's worked for 20 years in biotech and international public health with over 120 research publications. The last time we spoke to Dr. David Bell was on the UN Declaration on Pandemic Preparedness, Prevention and Response, and that was back in September uh, 2023 uh, into February 2024. And I want to welcome Dr. David Bell back, joining us from Texas. David, it's good to see you again. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Paul. It's good to be back. Okay, so the the thing just rolls on, doesn't it? Just rolls it on. It, yeah, it's not stopping. It's a lot of momentum. Um, there's a piece that you've written, again, on the Brownstone Institute. I've been reading it anyway, and it's titled... Disease X in Davos, this is not the way to evaluate and formulate public health policy. Most recently, there's been that WEF get-together in Davos. Why do you think they've muscled into public health policy? Because there is a lot of money in it. If you run public health this way, clearly, um, you know, the, the response to COVID was the biggest um, wealth concentrator in, in human history, Um in numbers, so it there's the members of the World Economic Forum, individual and corporations, made unprecedented profits out of that response. They clearly want to do that again. That's what they do for their shareholders and their own income. So, though the World Economic Forum reflects their interests, it's there to make money. And but that so ignores the obvious that um, public health needs to be answerable to the public, doesn't it? I mean, it's called public health. It's, it it's such be. a basic thing. Yeah, it should be. But you could also look at it as how to manage the public. And there's a long history of that, you know, eugenics and the 1930s and 40s in Europe, um, colonialist era with the way that public health was used. So there's a long history also of public health being for control of populations rather than um, for their benefit necessarily. So it's not new what we're seeing, but it's on a... a Larger scale, I think. Right. Disease X. What does that mean, do you think? Yeah, it's a hypothetical disease which was put together in about 2018. So the, the WHO has a list of priority diseases that they want to concentrate on for vaccines, etc. on the basis that these are, um, you know, to quote, some of these agencies' existential threats to humanity that we need to be ready for. So the in 2018, it obviously didn't, but now it includes COVID-19. Um, and, you know, there are issues firstly on whether that was even a natural outbreak versus a result of, you know, the, the really pandemic industrial complex that is um, prevalent at the moment. Or 
and there's questions on you know how many people had actually killed and at what age. So it has COVID nineteen, and then it has a list of other diseases. It has Ebola virus, which um, has one outbreak ever over ten thousand people, and is confined to Western Central Africa. And then there is about well, I can list them actually: Crimea, Congo, hemorrhagic fever. People probably haven't heard MERS and SARS, Nipah virus, Rift Valley fever. Zika virus um, and Marburg virus. And none of those that I just listed has ever killed more than 1,000 people in recorded history in the whole world ever. Wow. So, so you know, SARS only killed 800. So the, the problem that WHO have is that these are tiny burden in the context of what actually kills humans. And if they're going to... Um, put a good story together to get a lot of funding for this area. They need something else. So they have disease X, and you know, we've seen in the media um, the idea that it could be 20 times worse than COVID. I mean, of course it could be. Probably it's going to be 20 times less bad because that's what all the other diseases are like. So and, you know, COVID killed people at the age of 80, and it's nothing like the outbreaks we used to have in the past before we had antibiotics and modern medicine. So they have a problem that overall outbreaks have been reducing and certainly mortality from them has been reducing. And this is very clear from, you know, their their own databases that they rely on for the last 10 to 20 years. So they need to come up with um, a story. They need to spin a yarn about that will allow them to first get some urgency so that people don't stop and really think through this and secondly get a lot of money and you know they're putting together as we've discussed before the a sort of a pandemic industry based around uh, proposed amendments to the international health regulations and a new treaty or agreement that will concentrate power in the hands of who uh, allow them to to run a very large surveillance network where they will find viral variants they can declare they're a threat they don't have to show harm then they have the precedent for locking down whole regions or the world and they have a 100-day vaccine program mrna vaccines at sepi in switzerland and they will use that to give you your passage back to you know relative freedom from the lockdown yeah. they just imposed that's the control for a threat that doesn't even have to have killed anyone I yep. mean, this is a money-generating scheme in, is one way of looking at it that is um, bound to be successful if it's allowed to happen. Because the label, Disease X, it's like something out of, you know, Dr. Evil. It, it's like a constructed fear. Well, it is. That's exactly aiming. what it is. Yeah. Um, you, you can look at it as, well, you know, it's a hypothetical thing that we can build responses around. Fine, we could do that, and that's fine. But then those responses would have to be proportionate to what the actual threat is. And if you look at the other diseases on that list, then um, there are no diseases there that are shown to be of natural origin that have been a significant threat to humanity. So if that is the list that WHO can come up with as their priority diseases, then what they're telling us is that outbreaks are a tiny issue and should be a very small, not zero, but a very small part of public health policy. The um, And I'm reading here from your 
your piece here, you say it's inescapably true that thousands of viruses do exist, and you just touched on this before, and remain undiscovered since nature's diversity is vast, yet nearly all are harmless to humans. We've been encountering them or their variants for hundreds of thousands of years, yet they want to go looking for more. Is that how you yeah. feed? Is that how you feed the machine? You, you keep finding uh, of endless pathogens, and you're creating endless products that yeah, you're then and- li- literally forcing on people forever and a day. Yeah, and you, know, the, the, you could take bird flu as an example. So in the last, yeah, CDC says in the last, I think it's five years, there's probably three human deaths confirmed from bird flu, despite all that we hear about it in the media. So, but you know, you could say that bird flu is a theoretical risk. Uh, you know, the Spanish flu is probably from, you know, related to bird flu, for instance. So you can theorize that there's a harm and you can use that to lock down people. And the, the thing about what we're doing now is we don't have to show harm because, you know, harm is actually very rare from these outbreaks. So, yeah, it's a stupid idea from a public health point of view, from the view of, you know, what is important to humanity. But it, from a business point of view, um, it's unbeatable. The, the The makers of the vaccines for this under the WHO agreement or treaty, they get effective immunity from prosecution as well. So part of the treaty is setting up, you know, they they require countries to set up a mechanism to use public money to compensate those who are vaccine injured so that the companies aren't on the hook. So, and it's public money that's mostly going into CEPI for the 100-day vaccine development program. But the profits, of course, will go to these private companies that will actually make the vaccine. So the WHO, to use Hillary Clinton's phrasing, they're useful kind of idiots, are they, in the business plan of this? That sort of greases the wheels between the the business side of it, the public and the governance side of it, and independent nation states, the way they interface. In terms of gain of function and laboratories and everything, if you're looking for endless pathogens, then you presumably you can gain of function those discoveries and... You can massage the seriousness of a pandemic by the way you modify the virus. Is that a bit out there, or is that uh, that's a possibility no, with us? Not thing. out there. Um, you know, the COVID outbreak reportedly arose just down the road from the only laboratory in China that was working on that particular sort of virus and actually doing gain of function research on it. And um, was known to have some issues with um, the potential for leaks of viruses, you know, with biosecurity. And um, so, you know, Occam's razor would suggest that there's something going, there's some link between the two, because, you know, the bats that the virus supposedly come from live hundreds and hundreds of miles away in Yunnan province. So you could do that. And gain of function research is still going on, surprisingly, despite the fact that it, it appears to be you know, associated with the start of COVID-19. But you don't need to do that because if you can just use a threat and you have the media on site, which they do, and you have you, know, you have enough money to pay governments and you have the regulatory agencies in a revolving door with the vaccine companies so that they will pass something very quickly because their next job next year, which will be much higher paid, could be with that company. So when you've got that system, you don't need to actually do gain a function. 
And you know, the, even if the COVID virus was going to function, it was a very mild virus um, in historic terms and killed people on average at an age of about 80. So it shouldn't have been, you know, the, the fact that we locked down, threw people out of work, locked down whole countries, closed schools for months or years for something like that is not because it was a bad virus and we had to do that because someone made a bad, bad virus. It was because the psychology and the messaging that was built around it was sufficient to do it. So you you could have, you know, COVID could have killed almost no one at all. And they could still have done that, I think. Here, uh, we're in a poor state doing a national interest test applied to the 305, I think the current total is, amendments to the international health regulation. So that that's happened. That's a consequence of the election. Various people here, i just get your feeling on this, have been doing um, official information requests to try and, mm. and find out what the public health officials, the Ministry of Health, has been communicating with the WHO and our, our politicians. And there are New Zealand officials involved in this at the WHO as well. And they, they're not releasing anything. They're saying it's a huge, complicated uh, process. It would take too long. And, and they're kind of wiggling out of, of coughing up any information. Why do you think that would be? Um, doesn't seem sensible, does it? So if they were able to give that information, you know, to WHO and so on, then they must have it written down, their, their opinion. So it shouldn't be hard to release that. This is public health, as you stated. It's supposed to be for the public. They're actually the representatives of the public. On behalf of the public, they're talking to the WHO. So there shouldn't actually be any secrecy whatsoever in what they're saying to the WHO in a rational democratic society. So, you know, you can assume perhaps that there, you know, is part of this sort of revolving door issue that people, they have other interests other than just representing their country and the interests of their people when it comes to this. And, you know, if you look at the global health in general, it's a sort of a club, um, like a lot of these things where, you know, they go to the same schools for training, paid by the same people, they, they know if they do certain things and they say certain things, they're much likely to get certain jobs because the funders have certain opinions, et cetera. So they, you know, the, the people are playing a game, I think, um, for their own futures and their own salaries, and they realise that it's not necessarily in the best interest of the population as a whole. I think you mentioned in that piece that um, did the WD, uh, WEF remove the 20 times more deadly claim from their website yeah yeah, yeah so, so they overreached the cable well kind of someone did yeah i mean the best the earliest we could find was a, a regional paper i think in manchester or somewhere in northern england that came up someone reporter came up with this 20x claim which you know through a, a bit of a mistake of calculation from some other information they had and it just got picked up because it's such a great story. So it just reflects the, the fear-mongering that goes on and the lack of rigour in all of this. So, you know, the if you look at, as I mentioned, you know, we've looked recently at, in detail at the databases that the WHO World Bank and so on are using. There's, there's a thing called the Gideon database, which is the biggest database of outbreaks out there. It shows this increase up to about the year 2000 in reported outbreaks, which completely fits with the fact, you know, in 1983, we invented PCR. Before that, we wouldn't have even detected a lot of what right, we did. Right, okay, that's interesting. Yeah? yeah. So, 
and then the, the trajectory levels often goes down, which isn't surprising because we are getting better at um, managing health in general. We should be. Technology is progressing. There's something badly wrong if we're not. So, you know, the, the story behind all this is very poor for these people. Um, it doesn't say that there's a lot of urgency. It doesn't say that this is a huge priority that needs, dis, you know, the disproportionate amount of funds they, they want at the moment. So uh, I think really a lot of the secrecy here is probably also because people realise that this is built on sand. Right. Yeah, and you make the point, and it's, <laughs> it's mind-blowing. Tuberculosis causes 1.3 million deaths per year. Over 3,500 deaths per day, let that sink in. While malaria kills over 600,000 children every year, cancer and heart disease kill, that's up as well, um, in the millions. Yeah. And and it's, I mean, <laughs> that's that's the, the horrible thing, isn't it? One of those figures there. Yeah, and, and then we have this WHO list of priority diseases, priority pathogens, and if you know, take out COVID and you have a few tens of thousands in the whole of history. Compared so, to those huge figures every year, every day. Yes. Yeah. That's so the quiet it, part out loud, isn't it? Right there. It is, yeah. Um yeah, I mean, you know, there's Lassa fever that they talk about the WHO that's you know, it's con it's an endemic disease confined to West Africa, there's Ebola that has these outbreaks and the rest are that at Completely tiny. So yeah, I mean, public health is about um, is about proportionality and risks and benefits. And you know, if you're diverting, they're talking about thirty one million billion plus every year of money to these tiny risks. Then that money is coming from those children who can be saved from malaria and those people who can be saved from TB. And people who would benefit from more funding to heart disease or to cancer or whatever, or would could just go on holiday with their family, actually, and have a better quality of life. Yeah. So there is a huge cost when you divert funds like this. If you're diverting funds to something that is so small, proportionate to the other needs we have and the other priorities we have, then it's a net harm and not a net benefit. So it's, it's highly unlikely that this will not be a net harm. It's immoral, though. That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's so clearly wrong. Yeah, it's it's you know, business can be conducted on a moral basis or a a moral basis, immoral no, basis, right, and yeah. I think that's what this is. Um, do you think the game? Does it feel like the game is sort of up for this? I mean, everyone's talking about waking up and all this sort of stuff, and we. I don't think so. I think most people have not woken up. I think you know we, we talk to people who tend to be like minded. I think the vast majority of people are quite oblivious to what's going on, unfortunately. Right. So I think this will happen. Um, I think you know, that there is some pushback from various countries as African nations who rightly see this as just another colonialist imposition, which it is. Uh, it's very like, you know, the farmers, the equivalent, modern equivalent of the East India companies and these other big colonial companies. Um, there's even, you know, some concern from you know, farmer who see some of the provisions that will probably be taken out on sharing IP is, you know, not what they want in for their business. And they've done really well from COVID, you know, dealing with countries without having to deal with, you know, the WHO. But there's also for them advantages in having it centralised. So I think, you know, people are looking at it from various angles. 
And it, I think certainly the IHR amendments will probably go through. The treaty may or may not, or it'll go through with changes. But this isn't going to stop this momentum of this whole industrial complex. It's not the WHO who are doing this. The WHO, as you alluded to, a tool of this um, massive, you know, pandemic industrial complex that is pushing this agenda over the greater burdens of public health and sort of bending the whole, um, you know, that they have been completely and undermined the whole international public health um, community to their needs, essentially. If you want a career now, that's where you go. You don't go for um, improving clinics, improving hygiene, improving nutrition, which we know are the key ways to overall improve health and life expectancy. David, good to have you back on again. Thanks for giving us a bit of time. And let's see how long Disease X hangs in there. If, if you're trying to scare people, you really need a disease that you can show is, that's why a hemorrhagic type of disease would be ideal, wouldn't it? Because then you've got pictures of, of blood yeah. pouring out of people. Blood and coming out of the pe- nose, yeah. People can visualise how serious that you know, yeah. is and, and the fear comes on. And it can be serious, but... Um, the risk can be so tiny. I mean, a car accident is serious, but we still drive cars. Yeah. So, you know, if you saw, we see pictures of car accidents, somehow we, we still drive and we still walk across the road. That's much more likely as an outcome for nearly all of us than the sort of diseases they're talking about. Okay, we'll put a link up to that piece and another piece that you've co-authored as part of the replay of this. Thanks for coming back on. RCR, Dr. David Bell, health physician, PhD in population health and background in internal medicine. And you can read the rest uh, of the bio with the uh, the replay uh, tile. Thanks for coming on again, David. I look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. Do you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to? Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057, or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We'd love to hear from you, so connect with us today.